1: That's right, folks. It's time for With the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Episode 5. I'm CBS Sports Draft analyst Ryan Wilson. And I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. On today's show, we'll talk a little college football playoff uh, reactions to the bowl games and notable performance from from some of those games. Uh, We're going to do a little segment called Just Good Football Players. We'll do a little news as well. And we'll talk about uh, one of our favorite segments, Rick's Picks, drafting Harrison Smith, one of the best safeties in the NFL. He's been doing it for a long time. Uh, But first, remember, you can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel and get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching with the first pick. And since we're new, it would mean the world to us if you could like the video on YouTube. And if you're watching us live, join us in the comments or leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter. At Spielman underscore Rick at Ryan Wilson CBS. And if you want to follow the show for updates and show clips, follow at WTFP Draft Pod or on TikTok at NFL Draft CBS. Rick, happy new year. How was spending the holidays with the family for the first time in ages?
2: Yeah, it was the first time in 31 years that I actually spent a whole Christmas day and actually a Christmas weekend with the family. So that was phenomenal. Uh, We ended up going to Universal Studios, which I highly suggest if you really like roller coasters and going to the Islands of Adventure. Although I'm not getting paid for that advertisement, (laughs) it was well worth the trip. Uh, They say Disney was crazy. There was 120,000 people there on Christmas Day. But in all, it was great. Just uh, relax. Just spend time with the family. To be honest with you, I did not watch one game of football uh, for the first time in a long time on that weekend and just enjoyed the family
1: that's awesome that's fantastic that's the uh the benefit of being a podcaster Rick you have a little more free time on your hands <laughs> and zero pressure virtually uh, I'll ask quickly we'll move on uh if I had to guess you you are not a roller coaster guy
2: I tried the first roller coaster <laughs> I went on okay was the Hulk and I do I think I got concussed on that because <laughs> for the rest of the day I was done so <laughs> You get my kids, my, even my older kids love the roller coaster. So, uh, we, 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 there was a thing called VelociCoaster. I was like <laughs> building up courage to get on that. But after my experience on the Hawk, it was, uh, I, I stick to the, uh, the little fish that goes up and down in Dr. Seuss's, uh, Nickelodeon section of the park.
1: Hey, hey, listen, most important thing is to, is to know your role and your, your role. If, if that's your role, then, then so be it. All right. Let's yeah. talk a little Quarterback situation because quarterbacks are always going to be a hot topic uh, when it comes to the draft. And you know, the very first episode over a month ago now, the first thing we talked about, and you weighed in on CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young. You're a huge Bryce Young guy. You're sort of all world comp is is uh, Steph Curry, which is a is a fun comp, and it actually makes sense when you think about how both these guys sort of carry themselves on the court and on the field. Bryce Young had a had a huge Saturday afternoon. CJ Stroud had a huge. Saturday evening, uh, the Alabama rolled in their game. Uh, Ohio State had a chance to win against Georgia, that they missed the kick uh, with as time expired, through no fault of CJ Stroud. So let's revisit that again because we'll be talking about this till the cows come home uh, on actual draft night. Uh, let's first start with CJ Stroud and, and let's talk about what he did that perhaps we didn't quite know he could do over the course of Washington play the last two years.
2: Yeah, the biggest thing when you watched that game uh, was that he actually made some plays with his legs. He's always trying to, and it seemed like when you watch the tape uh, on the film this year and even last year, is that he's trying to prove that he's a quarterback and a pocket passer. And it seemed like he didn't want to make plays with his legs. And everybody talked about, and even some of the people i talked to at Ohio State, he is a better athlete than he's showing on the tape that you're watching this year. And then all of a sudden someone unchained the beast Mm -hmm. and it was uh, for a national championship game and his legs, not only did he throw the ball well, and there was no question about his arm talent, no question about his accuracy. I thought he got through his decision process a lot better against a NFL caliber type defense at the university of Georgia, but the difference in this game and what kept him in the game and probably had a chance to should have won that game uh, was his ability to make plays with his legs. And that's. So important now in the NFL because you see all these quarterbacks are coming out and the guys that are having success not only can throw the ball, but they can make plays with their legs.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny, I'm guessing, and you can answer for yourself, of course, but Bryce Young did what we probably thought he was going to do. It would have been a surprise if he played poorly because he's had such a successful season. I don't think he's changed anyone's minds in terms of where they have him ranked. He's still my QB1. I think he is yours as well. But I talked to a, a team last week before this this um, before Ohio State played Georgia, and, and I was told that C.J. Stroud is going to be in the mix for, for QB1, and I think he solidified that conversation based on how he performed against Georgia. Uh, anything change for you in terms of if you're picking first overall or you're the team that gets to take the first quarterback off the board? Is C.J. Stroud closer than he was two days ago? Is it still Bryce Young? Where are you at on that?
2: Well, and we'll probably go down this ro- rabbit hole here in a little bit, <laughs> but if Bryce Young, who I give all the credit in the world to, not only as a football player, as a competitor, playing in a Sugar Bowl, which is a big game, but it wasn't the Final Four, yet him, Willie Anderson, uh, Jameer Gibbs, all those guys went out and played in that game. And that tells you the type of character and the type of competitor those kids are. And regardless... You know, if you're sitting there, and let's say Bryce Young opts out and doesn't play in that game, and the last vision you have of him was playing against Auburn, and then you have C.J. Stroud, who, you know, that would have been moronic if he didn't play because they're playing for a national championship or trying to get in. <laughs> right. Um, but if you've seen the way C.J. Stroud played, let's say, you know, hypothetically, Bryce Young didn't play then you would have a legitimate argument on, hey, maybe C.J. Stroud should be the number one guy. But because uh, Bryce Young not only playing, but playing and put an explanation point on his college career and some of the throws he made, and I was very fortunate to be at the Sugar Bowl and be on the sideline and to see some of the things that he does in person up close uh, is incredible. And that's why I think even though he is small, he is the exception to the rule.
1: I think you're right. I, I, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to be coming off that because uh, the tape is in. Like nothing's going to change unless we find out one of them, you know, is a serial killer or something. And I don't think that's going to happen either. But as you mentioned, you were on the sidelines for Alabama, Kansas State. You, you've seen Bryce Young throughout the, the the course of the season, and he is not big. We all know that. But also something we talked about earlier, he doesn't get balls knocked down at the line of scrimmage. It's not like he's Baker Mayfield who struggled with that over the course of the NFL career. Um, it, it seems like he has an a, a, Innate, uh, innate sense, excuse me, of knowing where the lanes are. He moves well inside the pocket. He's not looking to run, but he can if you need him to. And then he throws with more anticipation than anyone in the first round conversation, for sure, when it comes to these quarterbacks.
2: Yeah. And it's incredible when you sit there and watch this kid and you say that he's small, but his instinct or his ability to slide around in the pocket, his vision, shouldn't be a vision of a 5'10, 5'11 quarterback. His ability to find those open windows, his ability to anticipate where his receiver is going to be. There was one throw that, you know, you just you sat in awe. He threw a, a deep ball into the corner of the end zone, I think for his first or second touchdown. And that ball was out before that receiver got out of this break. And to place that ball 40, 50 yards down the field. In the corner of the end zone, and that re- I, didn- I couldn't believe the receiver caught it. Because- <laughs> but it was such a perfectly placed ball where only the receiver was going to catch it, and uh, that just kind of summed it up. I didn't have to watch the rest of the game, although he <laughs> went on to play a, you know, a great game for them.
1: All right, now we'll move on after this. But I want to ask you quickly because you know you're you're an old school guy. You're an old school scout. Uh, you like to have these guys playing these games. You've talked about that before, but you're also, I would imagine of the opinion that quarterbacks need to be at least six, two and weigh at least 210 pounds or whatever. So you are without reservation, giving Bryce Young your stamp of approval, even though he doesn't meet those height weight requirements. Right. And,
2: and I have a little bit of, uh, I won't call it insider information, but I was down there when he played against Mississippi state. I have actually sat across this kid twice, uh, just sitting there talking with him. I don't want to call it a formal interview, but just getting to know the kid. And there is not a more humble kid and a more mature kid that can handle all the accolades that have come his way. I mean, we talked about it earlier. There is nothing that is more important to this kid than what he does on that field and how he prepares to go out in the field. So you can take all the Dr. Pepper commercials and (laughs) everything else that he's doing and he somehow has a maturity level to separate that from what he has to do on the football field and how he has to get prepared to go out and play like he plays.
1: Yeah, no, it's a testament to him. It's a testament to to the program in Alabama and um, you know Nick Saban what he's done with those kids. Uh, all the kids that announced we're doing this on Tuesday, January second, and earlier this, this today, um, Will Anderson announced uh, along with Bryce Young and of course um, Jameer Gibbs, who is also. Uh, going to be a fun running back to talk about it as we get through this process. So let's look at some of the other bowl games, um, the championship, the semifinal games, and we'll start with TCU and, and Michigan. And the expectation was that Michigan was just going to steamroll this team; they're going to run all over them, and and that would be that. That is not how it played out. Uh, so we'll just talk about some names in general. We don't need to recap the show. That's what the Cover Three Podcast is for. Uh, but but it, uh, a,
2: are you cheating on me on another podcast?
1: No, I'm not on that podcast. <laughs> but I watch it to catch up on on the uh, the recaps. Um, I do cheat on you in the pick six podcast, but, but but Rick, you're my first love. So just that's, (laughs) that podcast doesn't mean anything. This is the one that means everything.
2: Okay. Now we can go on with the show. We got that cleared up.
1: (laughs) So I want to talk to you specifically about Mozzie Smith, who's an interior defensive lineman and, and Bruce Feldman for the athletic. And he works for Fox as well and does a fantastic job. Comes up with a freak list every summer of just these insane athletic uh, football players, and the the 40 times the bench press, the squats, all the things they do in the weight room to get your attention, and um, they may eventually one day be a, a first-round pick or just guys to watch as you go through the college football season. Mozzie Smith, I think, was number one back in August, and the athleticism is there, and you see it. But for me, and not so much necessarily the, the TCU game, just over the course of the season, Rick, it's one of those situations where you have this guy who's a freakish athlete who's strong who's quick for a size all those things but it doesn't show up consistently on tape. I want to get your thoughts on on what you think of Mazi Smith the player but also if you are in the same are you thinking the same along same think, along those same lines as I am as an evaluator how does that um, sort of mold your perception of when you want to take this player and what you can do with him once you get him in the building?
2: There's no question about the kid's athletic ability, um, but does it translate to the field when you're watching it on tape? And I'm just looking at my notes here, um, and I said that. I said, this is a big, thick, athletic nose tackle, but I don't see that athletic ability always translating to what you're watching on tape. I watched the Iowa game. I specifically said here, really struggled in Iowa versus the run. But then you see him, flash, get off the ball, change direction like he looks like a linebacker and run down a screen in that same game. Then he go and he'll play with a high pad level. He'll give too much ground versus uh, some of the double teams that he has to take on. Then the next thing you know, he plays with knee bend, jerks some guy, does some phenomenal quick twitch move to find a ball carrier and make the play. So that's what's going to go on in a lot of these draft meetings. You have this guy that has this if you want to call it, or as you labeled this freak athletic ability for his size, but you don't always see it show up on the tape. And the one thing that I will say in the Ohio State game, you kind of saw what he can potentially be because I thought that was his best game of the year. The question becomes is he an underachiever? Because most of the guys that I've missed on were guys that had this freak athletic ability, mm. but were did not play up to that athletic ability and it didn't show up every time uh when you put the tape on
1: yeah and i've talked to, to scouts that that cover michigan and, and they they just wonder how long do you keep saying this guy it's gonna work and then you're only it's uh, when you're talking about maybe a, a top 50 pick or whatever and then you have to come to the realization that maybe it, he's not a top 50 pick and, and for me last year that guy was lao Lael, Lael, um the marvin lale excuse me i'm M. There's a lot of media buzz that he was a first-round pick, and I watched him play, and I said, okay, uh, I'm not seeing it, and he ended up going in round three. He's a good football player. he get a lot better, but I, I think sometimes the media perception isn't the reality uh, among evaluators in the league, and, and we'll see how Mozzie Smith, the pre-draft process, goes for him. There's no doubt that he's he's physically has all the tools. It's just a matter of putting it together. Uh, another player who's physically uh, gifted, that's one word for it, and he's starting to put it together, consistently when he's healthy is Quentin Johnston. And he had a pretty big game for TCU as well. Um, I'll, I'll just put this question to you. I'm not sure where you your where, where your sort of draft mindset is on, on on wide receivers, whether you want a big or, or, or a small guy just in general. But Quentin Johnson versus Jordan Addison, who is much smaller, obviously. And, and you have a, a need at wide receiver. Uh, is there one guy you prefer to the other based on size? Or is it a, a whole bunch of issues that you have to, to take into account?
2: Well, you know, when you look at Quentin Johnston and what and his size, but as we talked about on an earlier podcast, he moves like a little receiver. He is a freak athlete that can run. But when you see him try to break down, make people miss in space, uh, his ability to drop his weight, getting into and out of his cuts to separate from the DB, that's pretty unique for a big man. So if you got a big man with little man movement skills, that's a pretty unique trend as you go through. So I he's definitely the number one receiver on my board. I've seen some big receivers that may be, uh, I would call them slow-twitched or slower-twitched athletes or just straight-line speed, guy, speed guys, but this guy has it all. And I think as he continues to grow and develop into this league, he has a chance to be a superstar receiver in this league. And he has... The most upside out of any of the receivers that that i've evaluated so far as we uh get into this process addison on the other side to me and i said this before he's Devonte smith he's smaller but he's fast he's elusive he can make catches uh he's very competitive with the ball in the air he's competitive with the ball in his hands after the catch and i think he's going to be a a, a very good player as well but i'm always going to go with the guy that has size unique athletic ability and he likes to play the game.
1: Yeah, Quentin certainly has all those things. And Addison, speaking of which, he is, uh, I think he's injured. He's out of the bowl game for USC, but he has declared for the draft, which is also not a surprise. And he will almost certainly be a first round pick. So let's talk about s- some players on, on the TCU side. Max Duggan, it, he'll be the senior bowl. And he's probably one of the toughest quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, excuse me, in well, college. Well, he's not in
2: the NFL yet, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> he could end up being one of the toughest quarterbacks once he gets to the NFL. But I think in a previous podcast we talked about him briefly, and you like him, liking him a little bit to Trace McSorley. He feels like a, a, a Taysom Hill type in that he's not a guy you want starting, but he's physically he can offer something in the run game. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I'm guessing he's a day three target, a developmental guy. And when you draft these quarterbacks in day three. In the back of your mind, in addition to the developmental part, are you thinking, okay, this is a guy that can run our scout team and help with uh, sort of athletic quarterbacks we might face over the course of our schedule, or is it, is it a different mindset when you draft someone like that?
2: No, I, I would say uh, he has continued to grow on me as this process has okay. gone. And you look at him in the Kansas State game in that uh, Big 12 championship game, I mean, that gives you a pretty good glimpse of who he is as a player. But the one thing that you can't – discredit him for is his competitive spirit, his leadership ability, how that team rallies around him. Now he may not be the most gifted thrower. You know, I watch him and he makes some incredible throws. It's like, wow. And then I see him leading receivers across the middle of the field and it's like you're watching a movie and you're seeing I know this is going to be a train wreck, do I still watch <laughs> this or do I turn my head? And then you see the arm talent and he's got a strong enough arm to make all the throws at the next level here, but then some of the deep throws, he's going to lay up and put too much air under the ball and underthrow some of the receivers. And I likened him to a little bit, one of my favorite movies, Major League, just a bit outside on some of the (laughs) throws when he goes. But then he'll miss a throw, he'll make a mistake. It's like water off of a duck's back. He comes right back in, and the next thing you know, he makes some plays with his legs, and he will battle you Till the end, until that final whistle blows. And he's going to give you everything he has. And that's going to appeal to a lot of teams. And I wouldn't be surprised, depending on what he does down at the Senior Bowl. And I'm very excited to go down and see how he stacks up against some of these other, I would say, second-tier type quarterbacks, um, because you can't discredit what he's done for TCU. And the reason TCU is in the Natty, or the National Championship game, is a lot to do with Max Stewart, who wasn't even starting in the beginning of the year and actually, I believe, was beat out uh, before he came back on the scene again.
1: It's funny you mentioned that because I wanted to bring that up. So, right, he wasn't the starter at the beginning of the year, and he said, I'll be the best backup I can be. And it sounds hokey on some level, but when you're an evaluator, how important is that to hear from a guy that you want leading your team at some point?
2: Well, usually some of those guys will bail and just say, I'll I'll ride this thing out and then maybe hit the transfer portal, which seems to be the popular thing to do now since there were 8,000 transfers in the portal this year. crazy. But that tells you that this kid is a competitor. And even though he got beat out, he stuck with the program. He kept believing in himself and usually – when he got the opportunity to start again, they couldn't get him back off the field, and he is the reason why TCU is in, in the national championship game right now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fun story and, and sort of a reminder that just because you're not a five-star or you're not starting at the beginning of the year or the end of the previous year, it doesn't mean your NFL future is dead. It just means uh, sometimes you're not in the right place, and sometimes you don't have the opportunity. When it comes, you have to sort of seize it, and Max Duggan has done that and then some. Uh, a guy who sees the opportunity – in that TCU game on the losing side, was wide receiver Ronnie Bell from Michigan. He'll be the senior bowl as well. Six catches, 135 yards. And if you just turned on one game this season and watched that, you said, oh, Ronnie Bell's a first-round pick. Ronnie Bell's not going to be a first-round pick. He'll probably go in day three, I would imagine, in part because he's not in the same athletic conversation as Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison, for example. Uh, but there are things that he may do at Michigan against Big Ten opponents that will he will struggle to do uh, at the next level against NFL defensive backs. But when you see a performance like that, does that sway your opinion at all? Or you know who Ronnie Bell is? He just had a good game.
2: I think you have a, a pretty good d- idea of who he is. So when I broke him down this year, just reading through some of my notes, nothing really special stuck out on a film from a physical standpoint. He's had some durability issues in the past. Uh, the best asset are his hands. He can catch the really catches the ball well. But he looks to me like kind of a one-speed receiver upfield in the routes really struggled to separate deep. Most of his production came on underneath and short type and in intermediate throws. He does need some route work, but he does have some quickness into and out of his breaks. He's not an electric playmaker uh, with the ball in his hands after the catch. So I don't want to call him an average Joe because he's better than an average Joe, but what is going to separate him from the rest of those receivers maybe in that third day, if he goes and runs well at the Combine, If uh, that may move him up some, but you always have to go. Not one game does a player make. And it was great to see how he performed. And he performed in the bright lights on a national stage and came through for them. Uh, But I think his ceiling is limited because of the lack of top end speed and the lack of the top end athleticism.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to undersell him. You're exactly right. Credit to him; he made a lot of tough contested catches down the field in that game to to keep the, that game close. So key point I,
2: contested.
1: That's right, and that could be good if you're a glass half full guy, or it could mean that you're not winning with speed off the off the off the off the snap, which is to your point. Um, fair enough. All right, let's talk about the Ohio State Georgia game, and let's start with the the biggest matchup in, in my mind: Keely Ringo versus Marvin Harrison Jr. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best player in next year's draft class. That's not a quarterback, and maybe even is a quarterback. I'm sure Caleb Williams would like a word about that. But he is—he's a special player. He would be the first wide receiver taken in this class. He might be a top five pick. keley Ringo has routinely been mentioned as cornerback one in this class, and I talked to you about this earlier. If we look back at last year's cornerback, the two guys that went sauce and, and Derek Stingley Jr., and then a few years before that, we saw J.C. Horn go nine, and I think Pastor Tan went 10. Keely Ringo is probably a distant fifth in that group. You, you think that's about right?
2: Yeah, no, I would agree with you there. I think he's behind those guys. Um, I know he has phenomenal size. Uh, he's a good athlete for his size, but when you're stacking all these corners up in the draft, and we're going to talk about this a lot more, Gonzaga, or Gonzalez from Oregon and one of my favorite guys, uh, Porter uh, Jr. from Penn State. Uh, all these guys, you, the litmus test and the guy you want to watch him is, how do they match up against Harrison? And, and were they able to shut or at least keep him in somewhat under control? Because I agree, he's probably going to be, be – the best non-quarterback coming out in next year's class uh, if he keeps going the way he's going. And he is definitely a difference maker. But you're measuring these corners on how they match up against an elite receiver like that because they're going to face more than one elite hmm. receiver in the NFL. They're going to have to face those probably on a weekly basis. The issue I have with Ringo is I didn't think he played up to the same level uh to match what Harrison did. And Harrison had a big game, and I didn't think Ringo – had such a big game and that was a chance for him to go out there and show that, Hey, I am the best. I am the number one corner in this draft, but coming out of watching that game, I don't know if that's the case or not. Now, even like Witherspoon, your, uh, your corner from Illinois, who I think is a small, but, uh, he's a heck of a football player.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So I, I think I'm at the point in the conversation and this is just because of this game, but I've been thinking about it and, as we go through this process of watching all these players, Keely Ringo is not going to be my cornerback one when it's all said and done. He may not end up being a top 15 pick and, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, but you mentioned your guy, Joey Porter jr. And I charted every, every snap he had against Marvin Harrison when they, when they played back in the fall. So there are 32 reps Porter versus Harrison. Harrison finished three receptions for 40 yards of those three receptions. Porter was playing zone on an over route and he didn't follow him. So, I mean, that's one catch that's not on, on Porter, Another, he's playing 10 yards off, and Stroud hit Harrison on, on a hot route. So, again, it was a 10-yard route. He only got uh, three yards after the catch. That's not necessarily a win by Porter, but it's not a loss. And then Harrison versus Press Man beat Porter with uh, physicality at the top of the route on a dig, and he made a con- contested catch in tight coverage for 11 yards. Again, that's not the worst-case scenario for Joey Porter. if he It forces Marvin Harrison, the best wide receiver in college football, to make a contested catch on an 11-yard completion that required everything to go right from the snap to the quarterback throw to the route run by, by the receiver. So we didn't see that consistently from Keely Ringo. And I just think that's probably something we'll be talking about, uh, as we go through this process. Um, another guy that didn't flash in that game. I'll
2: just tell you a Porter, uh, shut down your guy too. I believe, uh, from Purdue, your, uh, a uh, rat hole player. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie, yeah. <laughs> that you yeah. love in the third round. Who is a heck of a football player. I love
1: Charlie. I don't know if I love him in the third round. I, I sentimentally I do. I think it'll probably last longer than that, but yeah, Joey Porter is le- legit before I move off with Joey Porter. Let me ask you this. Cause this is the, one of the, not concerns, but one of the things I noted about Joey Porter and it happens a lot in college because the rules are a little different. What happens when you get a cor- a cornerback who's so physical at the top of the route that he's, he would get called for holding on every play in the NFL and he gets away with it in college.
2: Yeah. That, that stuff you're hoping is going to get corrected with coaching because that's why it takes some of these corners. Rarely do you have a sauce gardener do what he's doing in his first year. Uh, but a lot of these corners aren't going to get away with what they're able to get away with at the college level. And that's a lot of grabbing and a lot of things that happen down the field. And plus, <laughs> You know, it's only usually a 15-yard penalty where in the NFL it's going to be a spot foul uh, wherever you're down. So all of that to me is technique. I think what separates some of these guys and what you try to find out as you go through the pre-draft process is can they locate the ball in the air and do not let the receiver make the catch. So there are guys that I've seen that, okay, I'm not going to touch the guy. They're in perfect position, but yet that receiver goes up and it makes a play because they can't find the ball in the air. So what you're trying to do is do a lot of drills, a lot of things, a lot of tape you're going to try to cut up so your coach can see. Can this guy make a play on a ball in the air when he's in a contested situation or is he in the hip pocket of the receiver? And does he have a knack to go and, and, and make a play? That was the big question and I, uh, I don't want to chop uh, jump to another guy but on yeah, Gonzalez when he left Colorado uh, and, and and ended up going to Oregon and then this year okay he, he all of a sudden I think he had four interceptions but all of a sudden you see another big corner uh, but the question on him was his ball instincts and awareness and you can tell that he really developed that and was much better. Uh, this year at Oregon than he has been in the past.
1: And you pointed out he could be in the conversation for CB1, too, depending on how this thing plays out. Because, again, another big, long corner with ball skills. Uh, so let's talk about uh, another player that didn't have his best game, but I don't think it matters in, in the in the draft sense. But Jalen Carter, you didn't hear his name called a lot, just in terms of watching over the broadcast. Any concerns, anything to worry about there? No. Or is just, right, you just watch the next game and say, okay, he'll yeah. be back.
2: Yeah, no, but you do see some flashes now. There's a couple of times when he wanted to turn it on and uh, he went around the uh, Ohio State guards like they were not even they didn't even put a hand on him. So when he wants to turn it on, I don't know if he's if anyone can block him at the collegiate level. And there's going to be a lot of pros that are going to have a hard time blocking him as well. The question may come back to is why? What, is he not doing that every snap, especially mm. in a in a game like uh, what was at stake uh, last Saturday night uh, against Ohio State? So that may come into question. Um, so you're going to try to get those answers as you go through this pre-draft process. You know, we used to try to even cut out – we knew all the good that, that these players did, but when we brought them in for interviews at the Combine, we tried to cut up a lot of their bad plays or plays that they didn't show effort Mm. and try to hit them directly. Why are you playing like this? Or (laughs) when I see this snap, why don't you play like that every time? So those are some of the things that these kids will get challenged with when they're sitting in those interviews uh, because you want to really dig down and try to find out who these kids are. And, you know, the tape doesn't lie. The tape is your resume. And so you're going to show these players some of these clips where maybe they were loafing maybe they didn't get off the block then all of a sudden he looks like he's unblockable Mm -hmm. why aren't you showing not showing that on every snap
1: did you ever get any responses when you confronted players with bad tape and and their response to you made it clear that you didn't want to draft this person
2: it it was all uh you know rainbows and butterflies when it first came in the how's your family and blah 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 (laughs) Let's get on this tape. And then all of a sudden you see little beads of sweat starting to come <laughs> up on this. And then it's, it's kind of start rolling down the side. It's kind of like when uh pre Pete Prisco starts getting with us on some of these drafts. And you start to challenge him. He sweats a little bit now. He put him under pressure.
1: Yeah, Pete's Pete's got a lot of catch-up work to do too. And he'll he'll uh <laughs> he was peacocking earlier about he's he's on me about Mac Jones because I was a Mac Jones guy, but we'll see. There's time the jury's still out on Mac Jones. You can't, as you've noted. Ah, uh, Rick, you can't give up on a quarterback after a year and a half.
2: Are, are you giving up on uh, Zach Wilson after a year and a half, or two? I am.
1: That one, I, I, I that, uh-huh. I, got, I got to sell that lemon because I don't think it's, ah, uh, I don't think that's going to run. Um, well. we'll see. All right, let's talk about a uh, another player on the other side of the ball for Ohio State on the defensive side, Zach Harrison, who we ha- haven't talked about yet on this podcast. Uh, he is long. He is thirty-five plus inch arms, and he looks the part. He passes the eye test, as you like to say. Um, I don't think he's particularly bendy based on what I saw over the course of this season, but he flashed. Talk about flash, he flashed at times, um, in that game. and Georgia has some dudes that are going to get drafted. Broderick Jones is one of them, their offensive tackle, who's going to go pretty high. Uh, what do you see about Zach Harrison, and what'd you think about him overall over the course of the season?
2: You know, when you see a, a, a watch his body type just on tape, it's like that's the first guy you want to jump off the bus with, so you <laughs> can say here, here's our team. And They don't right. look like him coming <laughs> off the bus. So he's a first team all bus, uh, all bus player. <laughs> what I didn't like about him is I do think he plays hard. Uh, I do think he needs some time to develop, especially with his pass rush moves, but he was one of those guys when I watched tape and I didn't get back to see this game this past weekend, but when I watched tape on him earlier during the season, he was more disruptive than productive. And Mm -hmm. what I'd like to see is a little bit less disruption, a little bit more production, especially when he can close and get to the quarterback. And those are some of the things I think technically can be cleaned up. And I do agree with you. What do you want to call it? Bendy or a little stiff through his lower body. Um, Those are the things, because he's not going to be one of those edge finesse type pass rushers. He's going to have to come off. He's going to have to one-arm him. He's going to have to use speed to power to collapse the offensive tackle uh, into the pocket. I don't have any question about the effort he plays with. I just think, and I don't want to say he's non-instinctive, I just wish he was more productive than disruptive.
1: Gotcha. And before we move off this game and and get on with the old podcast here, I, I scribbled this down, and, and I'm curious what you think about this because you're big on these players playing these games. And you talked up how important it was for the Alabama kids to do it and what it meant to them. And at the end of that game, you saw them, um, you know, pretty emotional that they they got through this thing together, even though it wasn't a national championship game. They finished with a flourish, and you know they're all huge Nick Saban guys. This, that, and the other. Do you think Ohio State wins that game if Jackson Smith and Jigba plays?
2: I don't know because I don't know the extent of that hamstring injury. Yeah. And he, he wasn't in a, f- a factor all year. So I don't know how long this hamstring bothered him or if he ever fully got back healthy. So, yeah, if he was healthy and you saw the player that he was last year, he definitely is going to help them and potentially win that football game. But I don't want, without me knowing exactly how severe or significant that hamstring is, it's hard to discredit him. But if a player is healthy and is old school, if you wanna call me old school or, not, or however it is, when you got a chance to throw the ball out into the schoolyard, go out there and compete. Don't turn it down. Cause there were some players that I watched that were getting interviewed on TV. Their teammates are out there busting their hump to win a bowl game while these guys are sitting on uh, on the sideline eating hot dogs, uh, saying they're getting ready for the draft, getting interviewed by all the media people. And I don't know, that would bother me as a competitor and as a person, if, if I've been with that team and I've been with these guys for three or four years and I've been through training camp and I've been through all the ups and I've been all the downs, I want to go out swinging with my teammates. And so that's what bothers me the most. I'm not saying they're not competitive. I'm not saying that they're not going to be really good football players in the NFL. But when I saw every Alabama kid and every Kansas State kid uh, go out there and compete in that Sugar Bowl and it wasn't for an advancement to get to the national championship game, that spoke volumes to me of uh, what those, uh, those kids' character are and what their football character is.
1: Yeah, no, that's well said. And look, I'm not going to begrudge Smith and Jigba for choosing what he thinks is in his best interest. I was just legitimately curious because that you could argue they should have won the game anyway had they made that field goal at the end. Uh, C.J. Stroud played – uh, uh, had a fantastic performance and, and credit to him for that. I think they would have loved to had Smith and Jigba out there, but clearly he wasn't. All right, let's talk about that Alabama-Kansas State game. Again, um, in more detail here, we've talked about Bryce Young and, and our love affair with him. Let's talk about your dude, Felix Enedike Uzama, the edge rusher, number 91, who is uh, another physical freak, to use my term there, and he went up uh, – much of that afternoon against Tyler Steen, the offensive tackle for Alabama, who we'll hear his name called uh, on draft weekend as well. What'd you make of that matchup and how did your guy fare?
2: Uh, which guy? I liked both of them, you know, but I do like the defensive end uh, from Kansas state. And so what I really, I wanted to really hone in on that matchup to see, you know, who was going to win that battle because Steen, I knew if he was able to go out there and perform, And probably he's a borderline right now, third, fourth round pick, because he's a big athletic uh, left tackle. I just wish he played a little bit more grit at times. It anchored a little bit better versus power, but he has all the physical traits that you're looking for to develop as an an NFL offensive lineman. What drove me a little crazy was when they reduced the defensive end from Kansas State, what I mean reduced is they put him head up over the tackle, or between the tackle and the tight end, and that's not what his game is. And so you have a 250-pound, 55-pound kid trying to hold the point versus these big, massive bodies in line, and even as a pass rusher trying to run uh, upfield on these guys in a small area. All of a sudden, there were about five or six snaps. i seen they put him in a wide nine technique or outside the tackle of the offensive lineman, outside the uh, shoulder of Steen, and when they put him on the outside and he pinned his ears back, uh, he got a quarterback hit. He uh, drew a holding penalty, and that kid was a going Jesse coming off the edge, and that's (laughs) how you have to use him if you're going to draft him.
1: So let me ask you that to follow up on that. When you're playing sort of a wide nine, you're not as uh, able to help out in run support uh, at least, you know, maybe setting the edge, perhaps. But does that mean he's situational early on in his career? Like, what's the game plan? I, I think you, you have think?
2: to – yeah, I think those are the the discussions you have in your draft meetings. Hmm. Um, okay, this kid is a very good player and a very good pass rusher if you get him on the outside edge of a tackle and let him cut loose and get upfield and get after the quarterback. Where he may struggle, if we're going to say – that we're going to reduce our defensive ends and play him at what we refer to as a five technique or head up on the offensive tackle or in the gap between the tackle and the, uh, and the tight end. Uh, he's going to have a hard time probably not being as, <clears throat> excuse me, productive, rushing the passer. Uh, and he'll hold up against the run because he does play with heavy hands, but he's not going to be as effective as when he's lined up wide.
1: All right, so uh, let's talk about. And you, you've uh, you, you're huge you, you like uh, Andy Dickie's on a little more than I do, but I'm coming around on him. Um,
2: Keep watching, you'll like him.
1: No, you're right, and I, I have liked Tyler Steen from the start. I, I think you're right about. Um, you know, he's not going to go. He's going to be a top ten pick, but that doesn't mean he can't be a productive NFL player. But let's talk about some of Tyler Steen's teammates, and this is one of my favorite players, and I've loved him going back to to the start of the football season. And I know you're you're hot him as well and not talked about much nationally over the first few months of the season. People know who he is now, and I thought he had a really good game. Uh, safety, if you want to call him that, but he plays a lot in the slot, and he can do just about any anything. Brian Branch, um, number, what's he, number 14? 14. Yeah. 14.
2: Yeah, no, he is uh, <clears throat> in Alabama's defense called a star position. It's kind of a nickel hybrid safety slash Nick corner. Uh, he had a big game. Uh, this game. I mean, he had an interception. He had a sack. Uh, he's physical and run support. He can cover. I think where teams are going to have, if he does come out, what the question will be is you never, I think his best position at the NFL is going to be free safety. Um, but you really never see him play in the deep half of the field. So what you're guessing is, is he going to be as instinctive of a football player when he's back that deep? And as he is, when you see him playing over the slot, uh, right now. So those are the questions that will be asked. I think he has all the physical traits and ability to be an excellent free safety, uh, Mm. but you really haven't seen it. So that part of the equation you're going to have to project.
1: And his teammate in the secondary Jordan battle had an interception on on an underthrown wheel, right? I believe in the Kansas state game, Uh, high point of the ball made a great catch, uh, he is not the athlete, I don't think, that Brian no. Branch is. And even though he plays much more in the deep uh, half of the field, what, what does Jordan Battle give you if you're an NFL team in, in terms of bringing – do what does he bring to the secondary?
2: Well, what he brings is his instincts because he may not be as athletic, but he's a well-built, well-developed kid. But he knows and he has a natural awareness of to put himself in position to make plays on the field. So – That's what if you want to go into our uh, good football player category that may not be the, you know, going to win the gold medal at the combine this year, Mm -hmm. but know how to play the game. That describes Jordan Battle to me. Uh, He's going to get exposed some, I think, in the NFL with the more space he has to play with. But what he'll make up for lack of athleticism will be his instinct and his natural feel as a football player.
1: Yep. No, I agree with all that. And and I think it's a situation where you could get him. He he could go on day two, but if you get him even on early day three, that doesn't mean he's not going to play a lot. That doesn't mean he's not going to be productive because I'm guessing you would agree. If you're an instinctive player, but not the athlete, you'd rather have that than the high end athlete who's not instinctive. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's what we talked about a little bit earlier is the high end athlete that's not instinctive or not a good football player. Those are the guys I missed on. Those are the underachievers. They don't play up to their ability they should play up to, or they, they're they just not natural at playing the game of football. There are other kids that end up having great careers uh, that may not be uh, the gold medal winner at the combine, but they know how to play the game. They have natural instincts. They have great vision. And to me, that's what Jordan Battle is.
1: Absolutely. All right, so... Uh, let's move on to the national championship game, which is January 9th. It'll be next Monday. We'll actually do the pod before that. Uh, and then circle back and and get back, uh, to, to what happened in that game. So we've talked about Quentin Johnson. We've talked about Keely Ringo. And we talked about the Keely Ringo didn't act absolutely, you know, have his best performance because Marvin Harrison jr, which is, there's no shame in that, but you would like to have seen it. So let's say Keely Ringo bounces back and, and, has a dominant performance against Quentin Johnson. That's what you want to see. And then the follow-up is, what does that change about your perception uh, of Keely Ringo? Does that just reassure you that he can actually do the things that he needs to do against NFL-type wide, re- wide receivers? Anything else? What, what do you take away from that?
2: Well, part of the evaluation process is, if you did not have a good game, how do you respond the next week when you come out? Or the other thing that's very interesting to see is, if you follow these kids on social media and all of them are on social media and the fans are ripping these kids on social media and they say, well, I don't pay attention to that or I don't look at it. Someone's telling them in there, Hey, the fans are all over your end right now because you played like dog crap uh, (laughs) last week. So, and I'm not saying Ringo played like dog crap. I'm not saying that, but he didn't have his best game. So now when he didn't perform to his best, but yet, this next time he plays on a field it's for a national championship game and you have a chance to redeem yourself, that'll be interesting. And that'll tell you what kind of player that this kid's going to be in the NFL.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I'm looking forward to this matchup. And I would imagine that Keely Ringo is a competitor and he wants to, to, to show out. And to your point, I'm sure he's heard what people are saying uh, on the old internets there. And that's something that he will take into consideration. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk more draft stuff because it's the draft podcast we'll be right back robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring
0: managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary ai to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology marketing and creative legal and administrative and customer support Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: All right, we're back. We caught Rick sneaking some candy there. Uh, That's all right.
2: I started to choke. I was getting all choked up on this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I bring out the I bring out the emotion, folks. I can understand that. So uh, we had wide receiver rankings on the rundown. We're going to circle back to that to a later episode because that, that'll stay for a little bit. I want to touch briefly on the draft order, and then we'll get into the, uh, the meat and potatoes of this thing. We're 45 minutes in already, so we'll pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, Rick, as we sit here, Houston still has the number one overall pick. The Bears can steal the number one overall pick depending on how week 18 goes. But if you're the Chicago Bears, you have Justin Fields, and I'm assuming if you're the general manager, let's say you're sold on Justin Fields, and you get that number one pick, what's the thought process in terms of what you want to do on draft weekend, and what are you doing between now and then to to hear uh, to, to take phone calls, talk to people in the combine, whatever? Because do you want Jalen Carter slash Will Anderson? Or are you entertaining calls to trade down to fix a team that has a lot of holes?
2: Well, I think that if Chicago does end up with the number one overall pick, uh, I'm guessing, but I'm going to, to take a pretty good shot at this, that they're going to say that number one overall pick is up for sale because you hear it every year. Right. So, and the reason it may be up for sale is because of this quarterback class. And whether it's CJ Stroud, people are in love with, or, uh, or Young, Bryce Young. Um, Chicago's going to say, well, if you want to come up and get your guy that you think is the franchise quarterback in the future of your organization, uh, that we will trade that number one overall pick. And they can accumulate a bunch of picks and really help their roster because they do need a lot of help. If they can't get out of that pick, and let's say they do end up with a number one overall pick, they are in a lot better shape than I think Jacksonville was last year because I think both Carter and I think both and Anderson – are better players uh, than when Jacksonville had to take uh, Walker last year, so uh, they're they're in a win win situation in my opinion. If I were Chicago Bears or if I was going to take the first non quarterback in this draft, I would probably lean towards Carter. Even though I think Will Anderson is going to have a major impact uh, on a team whoever drafts him, and I know that kid uh, personally and what a humble, mature kid he is. Just another. Fine example of the type of kids that come out of Alabama, but Carter is a much rarer, if I can say that, prospect because it's harder to find inside three techniques or inside under tackles that can dominate the way he can. And look at when the Rams took uh, uh, Darnold, and what a difference that three technique. They had some good edge rushers, but when you can find an interior player that can dominate the game. That is a rare rare find, and you better take advantage of that if you think that player can do that.
1: Yeah, especially Aaron Donald at that size because he was (coughs) undersized or or whatever the the talking points were at the time, and it turns out he's exactly the the right size. So one other thing I want to mention about the draft order is we sit here, if the Raiders had beaten the 49ers in overtime and the Raiders played an inspired game with Jared Stidham at quarterback – they would no longer be in position to to take a quarterback, which I had them doing in this latest mock draft. Uh, I had them taking... Your guy, Will Levis, and Will Levis was the third quarter, quarterback. Why is he my guy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be my guy, so I'm pushing him off on you. Uh, look, maybe he'll be a Hall of Famer. I'm just I'm skeptical based on what we saw. We'll see. So I had him at the third quarterback off the board. The Raiders took him at seven. Two picks before that. The Colts took C.J. stride at five. And, of course, our guy Bryce Young went number one to the Texans. And I mentioned all this because if the Raiders had lost that game to the 49ers, or had they won that game, excuse me, the Panthers would still be – in pole position, or at least top three position to get one of these quarterbacks. So now they're on the outside looking in. They're sitting currently at ninth. I have them taking an edge rusher, which is fine. That helps, but it certainly doesn't help in the way a franchise quarterback would. So, Rick, if you're sitting at nine, you know you need a quarterback. You know your owner is very serious about getting a quarterback. What are your options if you're perhaps tired of going the free agent route because Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield haven't worked out? Like, How do you get back in the mix?
2: Yeah, I think the ownership down there uh, is very enthusiastic about <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. That's laughs> getting a, a young it. franchise quarterback to lead that uh, team. And, you know, Steve Wilkes has done a phenomenal job, and, you know, they were right in the mix to win the NFC South, except they forgot to run the ball or couldn't run the ball last week. But that's a whole nother conversation. But you're going to have to do everything you can to try to go up and get one of these three quarterbacks and probably whatever that cost uh and it's going to you're going to have to overpay because teams know that you're coming up not to get a player but to get a quarterback so that's going to put the price tag a little higher i mean you look back at what uh chicago gave away when they went up and tried to get trubisky and how much that cost yeah. them and you can see if you go through the draft history especially over the last couple of years and someone is locked in on a quarterback and think this is our guy that's going to lead our franchise, I don't care what it costs. We have to go get this player because we may not be in that position again. But Carolina, similar to Indy, now Indy have played horrible, and so they're helping themselves actually to try to solve their issue of quarterback. But if I'm the ownership and I'm the general manager down there, whoever the head coach is going to end up becoming, it's, I know I better go get one because if I say, well, we'll wait till next year to get one, you may not be around next year. So you better do everything you can. Or and I think Carolina will do everything they can to go get a franchise quarterback in this year's draft class.
1: Any consideration? And, and scouts that I've talked to are very nervous about Anthony Richardson as a top 15 pick for, the, for many of the reasons we've talked about. Any consideration at nine that you would take Ooh. Anthony Richardson there as quarterback four? <laughs>
2: Well, let's let's see how the uh, rest of this pre-draft process goes, but uh, there was a guy that opted out of a bowl game, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah, and had a chance to maybe go out there and show that, hey, I am the top quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Will Levis opted out the two guys that are in the uh, pole position right now, as you may want to say, that is the leading way on the top two quarterbacks both played, so yep we'll see how the rest of this pre-draft process but there's no question if you watch him on tape he is the probably the most gifted athlete with the most gifted arm out of anyone we're talking about but the inconsistencies and the thing that teams are going to really want to dig in on him is that is he take his craft seriously does he put in all the time All the energy it needs to take uh, that he needs to put in to be a successful NFL quarterback, or is he just going to go out there just like he kind of did in college, where you didn't see that big a jump from last year to this year? You see the freak stuff that he does, Mm -hmm. but his his passing percentage was still, I believe, below sixty percent or right there. I don't have the stats in front of me, but does he have those intangibles? that it takes for a quarterback to be successful in the NFL besides just the freak physical traits that he possesses.
1: Yeah. He's incredibly raw. And that's one of the things, and the teams I've talked to said, he's, he's a, a good young man. I don't want to call him kids. I mean, he's, you know, he's a good half a foot taller than I am, but he's, he's a good, a good kid. He's a good person. But in terms of the, the ability, the, the willingness to work and, and all that stuff, we'll find that as we go through the process. Uh, but yeah, that would be a gamble. At nine, it feels like Anthony Richardson, even though the man, you watch him play sometimes, it just takes your breath away. All right. Let's let's turn to a segment now that R- Rick, you actually sort of came up with, uh, perhaps accidentally. Just good football players is what you like to call <laughs> these guys. Um, and I think it's a it's it's not a backhanded compliment. It, it's a way to appreciate guys who aren't gonna run four threes and who aren't gonna jump 45 inches and and who aren't physical specimens necessarily, but they're guys you want on your football team and you know, We talked about Jordan Battle in the sense that he's not going to be the best athlete, but he's an incredibly smart football player, and he helps your football team. Uh, you have some guys that you've identified in, in our first edition here of, of JGF. I'm making that part up there. Who, who do you want to go with here?
2: Uh, are we going
1: to get T-shirts made up with that? Yes. <laughs> right after we get our uh,
2: – I the would first just name? like a podcast T-shirt. I'm going like uh, no sponsorship today, just a plain black T-shirt.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the, the wheels are slow uh, when it comes to merch here. We'll we'll get on that, though, Rick.
2: <laughs> yeah, my my three t- guys that I wanted to kind of point out in the first time, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week, but uh, John Michael Schmitz, the uh, offensive center from Minnesota, when I watched him on tape, he is just such a mature savvy vet type player and he's big he's physical he's very good in pass protection he can fit in any scheme he doesn't get a lot of love out there because he's an offensive lineman but if i had to make a comparison to i thought he reminded me of when i watched him on tape it was uh travis fredericks when uh when dallas drafted him at the end of the first round i thought they had very similar skill sets when he came out of wisconsin to what I've seen Michael Schmidt do at the at the University of Minnesota, and he played very well in his bowl game. He wasn't an opt-out guy,
1: <laughs> which bumps him up a, a full a full round grade. like full, I, full I round, well. yeah, he's top ten now. <laughs> I I liked him as a as a day two guy. Where are you at on that? How do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, no, I think he's a he's a Friday guy. I don't think I think depending on the depth of the first round and all those guys that can rush the passer are going to go. Um, uh, you know, guys that can. Catch the ball. It'd be interesting, you know, in those conversations when you're developing your draft board and you're getting into that lower first round, top of the second round. And I'm going to kind of propose this to you. If you have a running back there, which is devalued versus, you know, a guy like Michael Schmitz, who I think is a heck of a football player that can anchor your offensive line. Uh, do you take a swing towards that offensive lineman and wait for the running backs in this draft? Or do you take a Gibbs potentially if both of those are sitting there with your uh pick?
1: I, I like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll switch the tables again. I feel like this is. um um Can you answer a question? I mean, I can
2: ask questions too. I can't be all the you, answers. You're guys. exactly right.
1: Yeah. So I, when you are saying that, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking if Rashawn Johnson is there and John Michael Schmidt's there, I might lean Rashawn Johnson, our, our guy from Texas, the running back who, has, as you pointed out, low mileage. He'll probably be a day two guy. He played behind B. John Robinson, but he he does some things well, special team value. And I feel like there there's some other centers in this class that I like that may still be available after John Michael Schmitz goes off the board. But I don't know if there's a, a ton of Rashawn Johnsons out there. What do you think about that?
2: Uh, I think there's a ton of good running backs coming out uh, yeah. because you can see you can get value on running backs as you go through yeah, second round, third round, fourth round. I mean uh, – Pierce, you know, who's playing very well down in Houston, wasn't a top first round pick. Uh, the the kid from Florida playing in, with the uh, commanders right now uh, is playing at a high level. He wasn't a top round pick. So you can find some of these running backs, although I do love Johnson, the kid, the running back, the, the little mileage kid from Texas. And we talked about <laughs> him in our last podcast too, but it's hard to find. Offensive lineman. it's hard to find centers that probably can pay, play guard as well. Yeah. But the intelligence, the savvy, the veteran maturity that he seems to play with week in and week out in the Big Ten against some very good defensive linemen. I don't know if you can pass that by, but you also have to look and see, okay, if we don't take a swing at him here, let's say in the second round, and we go with your uh, scenario. I'm going to take the running back here. How, and you need a center guard combination that should, and I think this kid can come in and start his rookie year, um, but there's not a lot of center guard combinations that you're in love with after him, then you better take the guy that you yeah. love.
1: No, that's right. You talked me into it. That's why you're you and I'm me. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. No, I, I like John Michael Schmitz. I had him as a day two guy. Uh, Dayon Henry out of Washington State is a fun Young man to watch play football.
2: Ah, very good football player. One of the uh, funnest uh, tape evaluations that I did this fall. He's very athletic. There's no question that he can play on three downs. He has a nose for the football. He attacks everything down here, shoots gaps, makes plays, can be over aggressive at times and take himself out of plays. But I love this kid's athleticism. I love his instincts. I love the intensity that he plays with. And I know when I'm grading, linebackers uh, you put him as three down linebackers or two down linebackers and the three down linebackers have a lot more value because this kid I think can play in in uh, nickel situations as well and uh, you know he reminded me some a little bit of someone who wasn't talked about a lot but I thought it was a very good f- football player when he came out of Ohio State a little bit of like a Pete Warner type hmm. that was productive made a lot of plays not a lot of pub behind his name, but you know, I think uh, he, he's been having a, a great career down in New Orleans. Although I know he's banged up a little bit this year.
1: Yeah, Henley. I called him Henry. His last name's Henley. Um, and Dayon, the kid we're talking about from Washington State. I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, if defensive linemen keep him clean, he will shoot gaps and blow plays all day long. That seems like a positive. He's not looking to run around blocks. And, and let me ask you about that just in general. When you see off-ball linebackers do 230, 235-ish, and they're running around blocks, that has to be a concern for you. But is that something you can work around, or is it the athleticism no, coming to play? All-
2: yeah, all these linebackers run around blocks at the college level. None of them know really how to use their hands to take okay. it on blocks at the point, except some of the two gap type guys. And we haven't talked about Sewell from Oregon yet, but I wasn't a probably as big a fan as the media is making him out to be because I think he's a two down linebacker and he's a heavy handed kid. But this kid also, uh, because of his athleticism, I thought he had an effect on a quarterback when they did blitz him. So I think he can affect the game in a lot of different ways, not only with his speed and the sideline to sideline range, but with his athleticism and coverage, uh, his athleticism, when they do run him on blitzes to affect the quarterback and disrupt the quarterback's rhythm. So I think this kid is uh, going to be one of those names that you hear. And I think he's going to – it'll be fun to watch him down at the Senior Bowl because I believe he is going down to the Senior Bowl. So uh, I can't wait for the senior bowl this year because a lot of these kids we're talking about that may not be well-recognized names uh, are going to make a name for themselves down at the senior bowl. I think this will be one of those kids.
1: I thought you were going to say you couldn't wait for the senior bowl because it'll be your first year with me at the senior bowl. So that could be awesome.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been, uh,
1: I can't sleep at night. I'm so excited (laughs) to get out there. (laughs) Oh yeah. So that'll be something to look forward to for sure. So I had him as a late day two, early day three guy only because he's, He's a little older. Now, if he were 22, I'd probably be like a day, a day two guy. Is there any concern about the age? He's a six year senior.
2: Is he under 25?
1: I didn't have his birthday. I only got the six year senior part. So I don't have that yet. I'm guessing he is.
2: Okay. Our age, uh, alert was when they turned 25 years old, uh, in okay. their rookie year. So if he's under 25, it wouldn't be a concern. Okay. Uh, if he was 25, then that is, uh, definitely a little bit of a concern.
1: But I'm with you. I I love the football player and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him as well. All right. Your last guy is edge rusher Thomas Incombe out of Central Michigan, 261 two sixty-one-ish. And um he, he's also he's a grown man.
2: Yeah, I, I I'm kind of anxious to see how tall he is. Okay. Uh but I don't I don't know if he's six one or if he's six four. I've I've looked at all <laughs> kind of different estimates out there. We'll find out here in a couple of weeks. But this is a guy that loves to play the game. The way his first step quickness is off the snap. First game I put on was against uh, Oklahoma State. And he had one or two sacks that game. He he chased down the quarterback. He was disruptive in the run game. This guy made plays all over the field. And then I was like, oh, God, let me watch him against Penn State because uh, your guy that went back uh, that was a top five pick uh, and this kid had some pretty good snaps against, it, it was a heck of a battle. And, uh, you know, Ola had his hands full in this game, but I love this kid's motor. I love this kid's energy. And I love this kid's first step quickness because he has a unique ability to get a jump on a snap and beat through and work through the edges of these offensive tackles. And I think he's going to be one of those kids that pop out, uh, down at the senior bowl as well.
1: And you can speak to this, Rick. I remember Scott Pioli telling me this last year at the Senior Bowl that those uh, one-on-one blocking drills those favor the defense because you know you're not you don't have a guard and a a center to help you out if you're the tackle. Uh, It's just one-on-one, and if you get beat, it it looks much worse than it will be in reality. But those things sort of leave impressions uh, on on you as you go through the process. And this feels like one of those situations where he could have success in those one-on-one drills. But I think you're exactly right. He's I don't know how tall he is either. I'm looking at my notes here. He's he plays like he with a low center of gravity. So he's sort of hard to to handle in that sense. If you're a big six five, six six offensive tackle. And um the 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 way the things he were able to do the way you were talking about it, if Anadike Uzama had those uh skills as a five tech, I feel like he would be almost a complete package because it feels like Inkun plays better, um, not necessarily out wide, although he's lined up as a seven before, but he plays better as a four or five technique.
2: I, I would agree a little bit, but I also think uh, when they do line him up wide, because of his ability to bend and torque his body, he has a real natural feel. And I, again, that's why I'm to, anxious to see how long his arms are and, and how tall this kid is. But once he gains the edge or the outside shoulder of an offensive tackle, he has a great sense of where the quarterback is in the pocket. And the other thing is that he has a burst to finish. And once he gets through that edge, this guy can close on a quarterback, regardless of who it is. And, you know, he shows his speed. I mean, I saw in the Oklahoma state game, he's chasing down a quarterback halfway across the field and ran him down. So this kid is uh, this kid will be fun to watch as we, uh, as we get down there.
1: All right. Those are your three guys, just good football players. They're not guys. They're just good football players. Do uh, you have
2: any three guys that are just good football players?
1: They, they are. We'll see if they're as good as your guys. We'll have to match them up. Uh, this might be a part of the, the $1 bet who goes first among these two. We got that running list, by the way. Debo's got that list going. So uh, we'll see how that plays out as we get through this process here. My first guy is Kalajic Kansi, the defensive lineman out of pit. He's listed, and we'll find out, he's listed six feet even at 275. So he's a little light for an interior guy. Uh, played a lot of three-tech, did some zero and one-tech as well. Sometimes they kick him out wide at his five-tech, but not very often. Um my overall note was he has a lethal swim move at the snap, and he's, when paired with his twitchiness, it makes him almost impossible to stop through the A-gap. Um, but the question is, can he play at 275 at the next level? And that's more of a question for 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 you than for me. But uh, it's one of those guys where you don't have any expectations going in, and, and they keep flashing, and you're like, okay, this is fun. Uh, I don't know if it – you know, he's listed at only 275, 280. He looks about like that on tape. He can sometimes um, try to get around blocks to make plays instead of taking on the offensive linemen uh, was one of the issues. And um, if he doesn't win with twitch off the snap, he can struggle sometimes uh, to get home if those bigger offensive linemen lock up on him. But the motors there, um, the, the, he feels like a, a guy who absolutely loves playing football. And when you have that twitch, and he's able to be so disruptive between the A-gaps, that gets your attention. But, but I'll ask you just in general, 60275, What are you thinking about when you're talking about a a zero to three tech?
2: Yeah, this was a kid that I was actually very excited to go watch uh, when Pitt came down and played Miami. And then I lost my excitement and enthusiasm when he didn't play because he was hurt.
1: Uh, (laughs) I didn't know that.
2: So just note to self as you sit there and finalize (laughs) this. But I did did love the kid's energy that he plays with, but he has to be in the right scheme and he'll probably be a situational type guy maybe give you some inside pass rush because of his twitch. But if you think you're going to line this guy up inside and you're going, to, he's going to take on double teams, he's going to take on combo blocks, he's going to get mashed up at the yeah. NFL. So if you're drafting this kid, you better like small defensive linemen because it's a big man's game up there. Uh, and he's probably going to be a situational guy if he's anything at all. But I struggle with guys this size that you're going to say he's going to come in, he's going to play 60 snaps for you. He's going to do it. he's not. And he right. better not be in a scheme that doesn't fit what he does best. And that's just getting up the field and try to disrupt and make and get penetration off the snap. Because if you're going to ask him to sit there and hold the point and keep the guard in the center or whatever combination blocks he's going to have to face, so the linebacker he's going to, you know, so the linebackers can make plays he's the one that's going to be end up blocking the linebackers because he's going to be knocked off 5 yards off the ball.
1: And that's an important thing to remember because I I was very much enjoyed watching him play, but there has to be a fit for him. So even though the plays you know the games that I watched he was he was at times dominating it's against college opponents, that doesn't necessarily translate when you're playing on the inside there. So what might look like day 2 talent might end up being day three reality because of the, the limitations that you've mentioned size wise.
2: Correct. Yeah. And, and you know, I would, uh, not that they played against them, but my, my, uh, good, just good football player. I would put, uh, I would put my money on, uh, Michael Schmidt if he had to sit here and block right. this kid one-on-one all day.
1: Right. No. And that's a fair point. And, and that's, it's always important not to think about these kids in a vacuum, but in terms of how they may actually look once they get on the field. All right. That's this part guy, of
2: scouting, just yeah.
1: uh, note to self, <laughs> right? Uh, just not the uh, sort of the, the the pie in the sky, what you think will happen. You might want to think about what's actually going to happen once they get on the field. Here's a guy that I know you're going to love, and I'm surprised he was on your list. This guy is a just good football player, Tommy Eichenberg, the linebacker out of Ohio State. I think you called him a throwback. And yep. I feel like that's the highest compliment you can play this. Pay this young man again. He ain't gonna run a four or three or a four or four. He's he's not like um, like my guy Ryan Shazier coming out of Ohio State who was a track star. It felt like um, different body type, everything. Uh, he will take on blocks, and he is a sideline to sideline guy because of his motor, not because of his speed. And he even and I mentioned this to you when we talked earlier. Uh, coverage is going to be an issue, uh, granted, but he was running he got beat in the middle of the field in the cover two i think he was running the playing the, the the middle linebacker role and he got beat down the seam there by a, a track star one of the georgia wide receivers um but he didn't get beat by three steps he only got beat by half a step which, which led me to believe that was better than i thought in terms of the, the athletic <laughs> the athletic limitations but tommy Ikenberg is a guy who's going to come in and play special teams uh, he can play situationally he's probably gonna be like your two down guy that you're talking about and the probably a good locker room guy based on, on the, on the, the way he works. He seems to the report he has with his teammates and, and the way he cares himself on the field.
2: And, and probably he's going to be one making all the calls and adjustment because he's a smart football player too. And I agree. He play, he is just a throwback football player. And I, you know, I, I always kidded my brother uh, too, cause he couldn't run and he couldn't test well either, <laughs> but there's no one that was going to beat him to the right. sideline uh, because of his instincts and how quickly that he can react to what he's seeing that's happening in front of him. The only guy I seen that ran past my brother, but he ran past a lot of guys was uh Bo Jackson.
1: <laughs> and Chris Whatever saw, happened to him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Chris Chris said Bo knows that he's fast. <laughs> Chris I mean, said that was the only guy that I could not get to the sideline before he got uh, he turned the corner uh up the field. But this kid is just a throwback, good football player. You gotta also understand as much as you love watching him on tape that you got to understand his limitations. You got to be able to project how is he going to match up versus the athletes? And, you know, of course, when someone has a infatuation with a player, like you have with this kid, yeah. uh, the, uh, track star he must have ran uh uh under 10 second 100 Mm -hmm. meters according to you because (laughs) it's funny listening to all the scouts in the meetings i could always tell when they loved the player and whoever they were going against well that guy has to be the fastest guy on georgia football team and he was only a half a step behind him so
1: oh so you've heard that before i do
2: recognize that this kid's intelligence this kid's instincts and this kid's uh He's a he's a he's a very very good football player. Just the athletic limitations and how they're going to he's going to be able to match up uh, at the next level.
1: Uh, well, I it, it warms my heart to know that you've heard these uh, me trying to spin these tales. These are the first time you, you've heard this. First,
2: though, no, that antenna went right up as soon as you said s- "sprinter, fastest guy ever to play at the University of Georgia," and right. he was only a half a step behind him. <laughs>
1: well, Red if flag! Gonna, if you if you love. Ikeberg, you're gonna. I don't know what you're gonna think about my guy Sidney Brown, whose That's brother Chase Brown is the running back. I get a ugh. Chase Brown is the running back in Illinois who's gotten most of the pub um, uh, on that side of the ball, the defense side of the ball. We've talked about Devin Witherspoon. Uh, we talked last week or two weeks ago, excuse me, uh, about the slot corner um, slash safety that plays in the secondary who who's um, going to be the senior bowl that we're looking forward to seeing. And then also Sidney Brown, who plays closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, the problem is. He's listed at 5'10", 205, which means he might not be even that. And, you know, you don't want your safeties to be 5'2". We don't want a bunch of Pete Prisco's running out there. But he can play (laughs) apex. He can play in the slot. He can play the deep half if you need him to. And uh, plays in one high, two high looks. He's at his best close to the line of scrimmage, which is what you've said previously we talked about him, uh, either as an apex defender or in the slot. Um, And I get miniature... Telanoa Hufanga vibes, a USC kid who was a day three ah. guy who is a, a missile. And I feel like Sidney Brown is willing to throw his body around on special teams and close to the line of scrimmage. He'll take on blocks, even if against offensive tackles on the edge, and, and he's willing to make plays. Uh, he can, he can look, he can guard up, man up on some tight ends and coverage on, on short and intermediate routes. I like that about him. He can blitz off the edge. He's shown that capability, at Illinois, and he just feels like a football guy who's going to be, um, Roster spot, 42 to 53, that comes in and does the dirty work for you uh, on Sundays.
2: Okay. Uh, I did like this kid as a football player. Here's oh, good. some questions I have on him. Okay, All right, what are they? I, I thought he, they, they play, when you watch Illinois and their DBs, they're in man coverage almost every snap. So this kid was on the tight end a lot. And the one guy I wanted them to see match up was against the Iowa tight end, Laporte, who I think is a very good tight end. Uh, and he held his own, and they, that was a great battle. If you want to go back and watch the game tape on that, that was a fun battle to watch. This kid's tough. He's physical. Uh, you know, he went out with a uh, bang in the Northwestern game. He had a pick six. He also picked up, I think, a 63-yard uh, fumble return for a touchdown. So he scored twice on defense, which uh, which tells you what kind of football player he is. The biggest concern I have with him is. And what you don't see is that when he has to play in the deep half of the field, does he have the range and athleticism to do Mm -hmm. it? I'm not questioning the type of football player he is on the when he's close to the line of scrimmage or, as you referred to, I believe, Apex. And that's not the old uh, athletic company, right? The Apex sweatsuits (laughs) and things like that. You're talking about at the point of attack, I'm assuming. Yeah, right, right, (laughs) right. Uh, but I do have concern cause I didn't see it when he has to play in a deep half of the field or play out in space. Uh, what's that going to look like?
1: Right No, that's fair. Absolutely. And that's why these are, um, just good football players and not guaranteed top five picks. And that's sort of part of the, the process. We, we try to cover all the bases here. And, uh, I think it's a first, first good go at round one of just good football players, trademark Pat pending now, Rick, it's time for our favorite segment, Rick's picks. And I will say this has been incredibly popular. Christian Daresaw and Justin Jefferson, those versions of the Rick's picks are two of our most popular. And it's sort of funny that Daresaw is up there neck and neck with Justin Jefferson in terms of popularity, because obviously one's a skill position player and others, an offensive tackle, but uh, you know, Vikings fans are smart and they know that Daresaw was a, was a great selection. Um, and maybe one day it'll be as good a pick as Harrison Smith, who is, I mean that, that that's a home run. Four year start at Notre Dame. He was a linebacker, uh, consensus set, second rated safety behind Mark Barron. Mark Barron's career didn't didn't certainly didn't last as long as Harrison Smith. He came out of out of um, Alabama. He ran a four five seven at the combine, and, and that's noteworthy for a couple reasons. I want to get your thought on this. Safety's running the four sixes is not the end of the world. Um, it's also not the end of the world for, for wide receivers. Although we, we tend to, to get caught up in that stuff. Cooper Cup ran a four, six, two or something. So just something to keep in mind and you actually traded up to 29. So I want to get the the thought on this, uh, in the 2012 drafts when Harrison was taken and you get the trade with the Ravens, you sent 35 and 98 to Baltimore. They turned into Courtney Upshaw and Gino Gretkowski. I would say you get the most of that deal. So take us through the process of Harrison Smith. And then throughout the conversation, explain to us, if you got nervous there when you decided to move back up to 29.
2: No, this was uh, a totally different scenario than a couple of the other scenarios that we talked about that year. Uh, we didn't have a great season. Um, our coaching staff coached the senior bowl and Harrison Smith uh, was on our roster uh, for the senior bowl. So we got an opportunity to sit with him in all the meetings. Uh, Our coaches got an opportunity to coach him for a week. There was no question after we had our personnel evaluations of the kids that we coached at the Senior Bowl that Harrison Smith's intelligence, his work ethic, his uh, knowledge of the game, the copious notes that he took in the meetings uh, during that time were second to none. And the reason why... He is such a good. Now, he would fit into the good football player category. Right. And I believe in Notre Dame, his junior year, he ended up with like seven interceptions because just like we talked about uh, the kid from um, uh, Alabama earlier, although I don't think he's in the same class as Harrison Smith. Third battle. Yeah. He had, uh, Harrison didn't have as many interceptions his last year as he did his uh the the previous year at notre dame but really stood out to us was the intelligence especially at that position because what we found out and the more the closer you are to the ball which means your quarterback your running back your center your linebacker and your safety those have to be the smartest guys on the football field for you And Harrison was doing all the checks, even though you could only play cover one and I believe cover three in the senior bowl. Mm -hmm. But when we were doing some things with him in our scheme, uh, he was making all the checks, all the calls uh, that we would expect him to make uh, if we did end up drafting him. So after that senior bowl, we did not talk to Harrison Smith until the day I called him and said that we just drafted you. Was that intentional? That was intentional. We did not meet with him at the combine. We did not go to his (laughs) pro day. We did not bring him in on a top 30 visit. We did not talk to him before the draft. Uh, The only contact I think we had with him was our scouts call all the prospects and make sure we have the right phone number for them on draft day. And then when we got into the draft, uh, we knew we were going to have to move up to get him because we felt that strongly about him and how he would fit in our scheme. And so we end up moving up, picking him in the first round. And when I called Harrison Smith and actually talked to him, I don't think he expected us. I think he was under the impression that we didn't like him at all after the senior bowl because we never said another word to him until we ended up trading up and going to get him.
1: But that's what you you wanted to happen because he could be – and Patrick Mahomes just talked about this. I think he talked about it on the Jason Kelsey, Travis Kelsey podcast about how he actually called Matt Nagy when he was with Kansas City and said, hey, I think some team – that's uh, ahead of the Chiefs, is going to draft me because they had developed a relationship through the draft process. And I'm pretty sure the Chiefs traded up to get Patrick Mahomes that year. They did. Right. So there was some conversation, and teams knew that the Chiefs liked Patrick Mahomes, and it worked out well for them, obviously. But you know, if, if Harrison Smith had said to another team, Team X, hey, by the way, the Vikings have been talking to me for the last three months, that may have had an impact.
2: Yeah, and the one thing that uh, usually when we're interviewing these kids or we bring them in on the top thirty, it's like, where where other teams have you visited? Or you know, we had all of our uh, interns are now what you refer to as associates in the building. Their job was to basically read through all the clips every day to try to track where all these players were going on their top thirty visits, or trying to find out you know uh, in the media, these kids will talk about, well, who they met with at the combine. So we were so sold on Harrison Smith right after the senior bowl that our strategy for him was we're done. We're not even talking about him. The next time we're going to talk about him, we'll talk about him in the draft meetings because we have to read the reports and we have to talk about him there. But other than that, we are not going to have any contact with his agent, have any contact uh, with the kid because we didn't want to tip our hand to anyone. So if someone called Harrison Smith and they said, well, who else has been talking to you? Uh, our name wasn't mentioned at all and because we didn't talk to him. So he didn't have any idea how interested we were in him, and that's kind of how we ended up getting Harrison.
1: All right, so let's think about this. So you guys, the Vikings, took McLeal for the office of tackle at USC, And then you were sitting at 35 at the top of the second round, and you moved up to 29. So um, A.J. Jenkins, the wide receiver of San Francisco, went after the 29th pick. Doug Martin, uh, the running back out of Boise State. David Wilson, the running back out of the the, uh, uh, Virginia Tech, excuse me, with the Giants. Brian Quick, the wide receiver. Kobe Fleener, the tight end. And then Courtney Upshaw, who we just mentioned, went at 35. So obviously you were concerned about someone coming up and getting Harrison Smith, was there a, a backup plan? Had you stayed put at 35 and Harrison had been off the board? Do you remember what that was or was Harrison going to be the guy?
2: No, Harrison was going to be the guy. We just were so sold on him and thought that he was such a unique prospect because of the intelligence and how important that is at the safety position that we were going to do what we had to do to the trade up to get him and to get him in the first round. Also was important for us as well because of that fifth year option.
1: That's it. Okay, that's right. That's a great point. Typically, we talk about that with with quarterbacks, but it also it works for every position. And, and in Harrison Smith's case, um, that was it. Turns out to be that that, that was a layup. You, you crushed that one. Um, you've crushed a lot of these uh, Rick's picks. Which yeah, you yeah, haven't
2: uh, picked any of the Rick's bad picks yet. I'm sure we'll <laughs> get into a segment of that,
1: too. <laughs> well, season four, we have so many good picks to get through. So, so we're, we're crushing it right now. All right, that is it. We ran a little long today. We didn't have a um, podcast last week, so we went a few minutes long. That's okay. Um, Rick, as always, thank you. That's a wrap on episode five. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. If you hated it, tell an enemy. Either way, just tell somebody, Rick, good talking to you. And uh, we'll chat next week.
2: Yeah, as Pete Prisco says, you can't wish anyone happy New Year because it's New Year's is over now. So after the day after New Year's, you can't say that. So he, he, he,
1: Pete is, is, is a grumpy Gus. Let's just leave it <laughs> at that. All right, guys, see you next week.